My name is Judah, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I've been teaching on this series called Spirit and Truth. And specifically, I wanted to give you like a step-by-step theology of what worship is so that we do not get trapped in some of the things that we can get so used to in Christian culture, but that we get to the bottom of what the Word of God says about worship. And why are we picking this? Because we've just been working with this idea that the truth about who God is needs to be received. We cannot just talk about truth. Truth is something that it's a word that's thrown about a lot these days. You have your truth. I have my truth. The thing is, truth is not a matter of opinion or what we think is experiential fact. Truth is who God is. And what he says is truth. Um, In John chapter 17, God says, Lord, uh, Jesus says, Lord, sanctify them in your truth for your word is truth. So this is something that we're dealing with when we deal with the, 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 the nature of truth. We have to deal with the nature of God. We cannot move apart from it. And this ties us to this very important idea of why worship exists. Worship does not exist for us to have a cool intro to whatever Bible message you listen to. It's not like the prelude music to uh, whatever church sermon you're going to hear. Very often in churches, depending on your background, worship is a musical part of an organized worship service. Right? Worship is something that you usually fill in the blanks. It's like the filler music between where people need to get from to things. And sadly, that is true in most cases. The worship of God has been reduced to a 15, 20-minute window that people throw in there. So one of the things that we dealt with the past week is removing music as the fundamental building block of what we call worship. So... Not, not to scare anybody here, but worship, for now, has nothing to do with music. Okay? We'll get to that. But worship, primarily, has nothing to do with music. Can you say that with me? Worship, primarily, has nothing to do with music. Worship has to do with the nature of who God is. And when God shows up, there is a response to it. Whenever you see God, there is a response, and that response is called worship. If you see God, you cannot but respond. And that response is articulated as worship. Now, worship uses words. Worship uses music sometimes. But worship fundamentally is your life. It's who you are, what you do, how you respond to life, how you respond to things. Everything manifests who God is. All things that have been made have been made through Him. We read in John chapter 1. Everything that has been made has been made through Him. He upholds all things in Him. All things hold together. And guess what? You and I exist to bring Him glory. Last week we covered that you and I, by giving glory to God with our words or our songs, cannot add to His glory. He's glorious regardless of whether we say it or not. 
I cannot make him more mighty than he is. I cannot make him more great than he is. Like we just sang, you are great, you do mirror. Now, me acknowledging that fact is good for who? For me. Does it make him more great? Does it make him more miraculous, more glorious? No, but it's an acknowledgement of saying, Lord, here is my life. Let my life be something that displays who you are. Now are you catching what I'm throwing? We're not necessarily saying the whole idea of words is unimportant, but if my life as a starting point is not directed towards saying, Lord, manifest your glory, all the words that come out are all fake. God is glorious and He is holy. We dealt with these two words last week. Because there is no one who carries the same weight that he does. He's in a total, you know, in boxing, you have this whole idea of weight classes, right? Featherweight, banterweight, middleweight, heavyweight, all of these kind of things. God's in a whole new weight class. He's not in your, like, if you were to think that if you were to line him up against somebody, he's in a totally different weight class. And that is where you get the word holy from. He is not in any comprehensible or comparable weight class that I can say, oh, he's glorious like, or he is worthy like, or he is so awesome like. There is no like. Do, do you understand? Because everything that we, and, and this is just how human memories and human thought operates. We, the way we pull these things is we absorb words and it's usually connected to an experience or a picture. So what happens when you lose a picture? I don't have a picture for this. So you think God is as strong as a mountain or the expanse or those seas. His, his love is as vast as the ocean. We use words like that to try and describe what we're feeling. You want to see a guy who had writer's block but then had to communicate something? Talk to John a bit. That poor guy, he started to see heaven and he's like, I got to put this down in a book called Revelation. And he's like, ah, it's, it's like, uh, and, uh, like gold with emerald with glass. And uh, he, like he did not know how to explain some of these things in words that are in literary form. Because it's seeing something that you cannot comprehend. So, when we're dealing with God, He is not like us. He is not a man that you can compare Him to. So we covered all these scriptures last week. So when we deal with the holiness of God, what we are saying is not that He is sacred, because that's a word that is connected to the word holy in our usage, right? Whenever we say the word holy, we immediately think, sacred. What does sacred mean? That's, I mean, if, if, I, if, if you were to say, what does the word holy mean? Or the word sacred mean? I don't know, something that is divine. Mysterious, but sacred. No. Holiness is not anything trivial like what we have made it. It is saying, God, you are so set apart. You are so different the worship that you receive, the honor you receive, is not in a weight class that we discuss. 
So when we talk about God being holy, 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 why is the constant refrain in all of heaven? The same refrain is holy, holy, holy. You're talking about people who are, these are heavenly beings. They got props on us. They, 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 they're, in, they're in the higher weight class when it comes to glory. Mankind was not given a glory as much as the angels were. As much as the heavenly beings around the throne of God were. But we were invested with a glory that suddenly all of heaven was like, What? How does God invest in dirt and give them a glory that heavenly beings don't have? That blew everybody's mind. And to such people who have gone astray and have gone away from Him, He says, I will call you back to my holiness. So when we will deal with this scripture a little while later, when you hear the phrase, for God is holy, so be holy. What he is inviting you to is to display his character as ones who are in a different weight class. You're not a human being only. The problem is we have a tendency to deal with the holy things of God as mere mortals. You have not been made just a mere mortal. If anyone is in Christ, this is 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17. You're not just a human being. You are completely new. The way you behold God is completely new. You are not dealing with some, someone who is far off. You are someone who is invited into His presence. Imagine what we were dealing with this morning in a small glimpse was Him inviting you to sit with Him. You're talking about someone who is so holy, so awesome, you wouldn't dare go near Him. But He says, I will withhold certain characters, certain displays of who I am so that you can be with me. Right now we see in part. Because no human being, no mortal being can look at God and live. But look at us over here. Just chilling in our little gray cushioned seats. This is the awesomeness of what we're dealing with. A holy God who says, come. The word we had this morning. I am here to meet with you. To bring healing. To bring blessing. To bring you into something. But come and open that places of your heart. That I might come and have dinner with you. That I might come and sit with you. That, isn't that amazing? Just, just think about that for a second. That the most holy one of heaven. The most high God. Comes to meet with you. So God has revealed himself in his word, but he wants you to see him. Not just know about him. When you know about God, if you have a good theology like this sermon series, you might say, I'm going to write lots of notes. It will help you a little bit. But if you have not seen God, you cannot worship him. Because what have we said? 
Worship is a response to seeing him. Not the Bible language about him. Because then what do you do? When you read text, this is human understanding, we read text, we transfer it into images, and we store it. So in your mind, you're already putting him in a weight class that you can comprehend. Does that make sense? So everything you read with a human mindset, with, a, with, with your understanding of things, oh, I'm just going to make sense of what this is. This is why fundamentally when I see people read the scriptures and they say, I'm going to do Bible study, I'm like, that's not going to help you if you're not meeting with the one who wrote the book. Because every time we come into, whether it is singing or reading or praying, if I have not set my heart to say, Lord, show me who you are. Just a simple prayer. It doesn't have to be complicated. Lord, I want to see you. We will talk about how we can do that better in the next few sermons. But this one, I really want you to focus on this simple aspect of saying, Lord, I need to see you. I must see you. If I don't get anything else right, Lord, I want to see you. I'm telling you, he responds to that. Because he responds to a heart that says, Lord, show me. Moses was, that was the simple thing Moses did. Moses didn't have a lot together. That guy messed up a lot. David messed up a lot. Abraham messed up a lot. And these guys are whom the entire faith is built on. Think about it. These glorious screw-ups. But they come to God with this simple response. Lord, I want to see you. I want to know you. So much so, the separation from God was felt very deeply, very quickly. These were people who were marked by a closeness to God. Being near to God is good. Not being near to God is scary. Because that is the response we often live in. Being close to God is too weird, too, too scary, too awesome. I'd much rather deal with Him from afar. So in Exodus, when God saved Israel out of Egypt, the first thing God says is, Come, my son has been set free. I have rescued my son from a foe that was too, too big for him. God uses the language of a father. And he calls Israel out. Guess what they do? They come out and he says, let's go. God says, I want you to come and meet with me and I will tell you what I'm about to do. They said, uh, that, that, that might be a bit too, because we just saw him totally crush an entire nation. The mightiest nation on the earth, the Egyptian kingdom was totally decimated. There was mourning in all of Egypt. He's, they saw a whole army get wiped out by the Red Sea. Uh, I tell you what, this God seems to be a bit too awesome. Moses, you got the connection thing going. Why don't you go talk to him? You just tell us what he says. We'll do whatever he says. You go talk to him. And that broke God's heart. His desire was to have fellowship with his people, not a person. Moses responded to God. He was someone who went. So we have the 
what, the account of them receiving the Ten Commandments. But it wasn't meant to go down that way. That was not plan A. God was to walk among them. God was to be their teacher. But more importantly, God was to be their father. But when they set the context for, you are too awesome, too fearful, too terrible for us to be around, he says, well, that I am. Because I am the one who made the heavens and the earth. There is nothing that exists without my glory. So God returned to a place of saying, I will give you the law as a guardian for a little while so that you will learn to seek my face. And then ensues a story of humanity where you start to see the fallenness of man and us saying, we want to go our own way and we will bring you something that we think is pleasing enough. I think this should work. This is really good. You have to remember, we are dealing with a God who is very, very holy. You cannot come to Him with what you think you have. Everything that comes into His presence has to be pure. Who over here can say they are pure? Okay. Who over here is washed by the blood of Jesus? So I will ask you again. Who over here is pure? This is what Romans 12 verses 1 and 2 is talking about. You and I have no basis to stand before a holy God. We have no basis to say, Lord, I can bring something to you that you will really dig. Nothing. But in view of His mercy, present yourselves as a living sacrifice unto God. So when I present myself to God, I'm not trying to be pleasing to Him with something that I've cooked up. I'm coming with the work of His Son and saying, Lord, it is by Your grace alone I stand. And now You have made me acceptable. You have made me a priest unto God. So when we look at Jesus, He received glory from his father and he responded to that by saying lord the glory is yours so when you look at the work the life of jesus jesus is the one that we center around and we say all praise all glory belongs to jesus and rightly so what does jesus turn around and do john 17 verse 5 now father glorify me in your presence with the glory that i had with you before the world existed he receives the glory that God has given to him because he says, Lord, this was yours. This was a glory that he possessed with God, his Father. Colossians 1.15 verse 16 says, He is the image of the visible God, invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. It is right that we center everything around the worship of Jesus. But what you see Jesus do is drawing all things back into a place of wholeness. 
to display the glory of God. Places where their glory of God does not exist, he says, I will restore it back into its original intent. You see Jesus doing something that goes in the face of any other dominion or any other power that says, I will set myself up against God's knowledge. Against people knowing the glory of God. We live in an age where right now humanity glories in who we are. I delight to tell you who I think I am. I define me. You don't get to define you. You don't get to define anything about you. God does. And that is an awesome thought. Humility says, Lord, show me who I am. Teach me to number my days. That I may be wise and present to you a heart of humility and of wisdom. That I might come before you and know you as you seek to be known. So let's go back. God wants to reveal himself. He wants you to know him. He's not trying to be far off from you. But he first revealed himself as whom? What was the first place of revelation of who he is? Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He reveals himself as creator, and that is the first manifestation of who we see God is. The word there is Elohim, in singular, which means the God who is creator. The God who, whenever it's used in its singular form, signifies that God is the one who is the origin. So when you see this word, God being creator, it is also a word when it's used in its plural form to define spiritual or heavenly beings. So Elohim is not just a word used for God. But the important thing to note here is why Jesus later on talks about this. The hour is here, the hour is coming and is now here that those who worship the Father will worship Him in spirit and in truth. Why? Because God is that's that word there. So it's the word that under, is the underlying feature of who God is. He is spirit. He is a heavenly being. He's not like a mortal man. The first revelation of who God is, is he is spirit. He is not like us. So if you are to worship him, we're not using just human means. We're using a spiritual reality that we're responding to. The second place you see God reveal himself is seen in Genesis 2. The word in Genesis 2, verse 4 is, These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. Now this manifestation of who he is is the word Yahweh, which we get some modern iterations of that is Jehovah. But in Hebrew, when you see Yahweh, it is the word, He is the self-existent one, the uncreated one, the one who is, 
Which is why when he is describing himself to Moses, when he says, oh, who, who should I say is sending me? He says, tell him, I am sent you. Who? I am. I'm, I, was, I wasn't. I'm not going to be there. I am. Wherever God is, is now. It's one of those weird things that your, your head sometimes can't wrap around. How can he always be something or be there? That's why he is God. He's, you're not. The nature of being God is that he cannot be created. That is the fundamental basis for God is spirit. And he's not just any spirit because there are created spirit beings. There are created Elohim. But guess what? There are no created Yahweh's. He is altogether in a different weight class. Now, now are you getting this whole concept of holiness? He is not in the context of other heavenly beings. He's not just a spirit that we talk to. He's in a totally different weight class. He is Yahweh. And why is this significant? And this is amazing. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 tells us this. Anyone who comes to God, right? It starts off with, I mean, this is important. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For whoever wants to draw near to God must believe that He is. And that's that word. That's the explanation, the expounding of who Yahweh is. He is. He, there is no start to Him. You must believe that He was there long before you were here, and He will be there long after you're gone, but He is. And guess what the whole story of Scripture carries on to do? This, it, it comes to this central idea that if you believe, Lord, you are who you say you are, in whatever characteristic or whatever aspect of you I encounter, you are that. It's not something you do. So, let's go through scripture a little bit. And I'm not going to go through it because I don't have much time. We have the name Ra'ah or Yireh, which is where you get the, the name Jehovah Jireh. Which is what we would most commonly know or Jireh. You know, the, the song Jireh. It comes from this word which, which means God, Yahweh, is not going to provide he is provision. He is the one who sees and provides. Now do you, when you read put Hebrews 11 verse 6 again up there. You believe that He is, He exists as my provision. Not, you, Lord, you will provide for my needs and if I, if I ask the right way, you will give me something and you will throw me a bone. No. Because you are, when I approach you, I approach you as Yahweh, my provision. You are provision, not you will provide for me. Are you hearing me? But you cannot concoct that. I have talked to many of you who have shared with me different stories. Like, uh, you know, like when you went through a really tough time and God saved your family from a brutal accident. God was my protection. Now God protected me. I suddenly saw something about who God is to me. 
Not what He did for me, which is a slightly different aspect of it, but who He is. When I was about 15 years old, there was a revelation God gave me that He is my Father. Now, I understand that in concept, but until I was 15 years old, I had never seen God as my Father. There was always a part of me that was always leaning towards God's my master. God is God. God is, you know, the, the, those, those ideas were things that governed how I worshiped God. Until I saw God as my father. I had a father. But God showed me something that has stayed with me. So my question is, do you believe that he is who he says he is? Because without faith, it is impossible to please Him. So when you come to Him, don't come to Him with, oh, you know, I hope you, you know, you see, you see this mess? I hope you can do something about it. Guess what? He is whatever that solution. Not, he's, he's not going to just throw you a solution bone. He is the solution. So when you get to encounter Him, as that. So Yahweh Shalom. How many of you have heard that word? So when we say God is our peace, He's not just the one who gives me a peaceful feeling. He is peace. Yahweh Yaetz. That is, He is counselor. How many of you need a counselor? How many of you have tried to look for a counselor and couldn't find one? Guess what? He is Yahweh Yaetz. He is counselor. Israel, uh, Isaiah 9, chapter 6, chapter 9, verse 6 says, His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Guess what? It's in His name. It's who He is. He is the everlasting God. This is the God you and I sit and get to spend time with. There are no coverage issues. There is no copay. Do, do, do you get what I'm saying? There is no level of coverage that you get based on what you could afford. He says, the fullness of who I am is revealed to you, but I will disclose it in secret. I will not just throw this out there for the dogs. The one who, Psalm 25 says, the secret of the Lord is for those who fear Him. Next week we will cover that. What is it to fear God? Because God is drawing us into a relationship with Him, and sometimes the casualness of, I get to sit in cozy gray chairs, and hear a sermon about this God who loves me, I need to understand that this is an awesome thing. How do I respond appropriately to God that values this relationship? Values it with all my heart. His name is Yahweh Rapha. I'm not the God who will just heal you. I am your healing. So when He walks beside you and sits beside you, He says, I am Yahetz to you. I will counsel you. But I am your counselor. I am the one who gives you wisdom. And I will not only do that, I will also bring you healing. 
and I will give you peace. Now, do you see all the words that Jesus spoke while he walked the earth? Or him saying, guys, I want you to see I'm God with skin on me. So that you start to see that I am not just saying something, throwing these little platitudes at you from afar. He's saying, I want you to know that I'm right there with you and I will be this to you. I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. And the abundantly of God is not something that can be wrapped up in, oh, I guess I found a good song to sing about it. These are things that are achieved through face-to-face time. And I cannot do that for you. A church service cannot do that for you. It starts with a simple heart cry saying, Lord, I must see you. And that's, it's that simple. I don't care whether you know a lot of Bible or very little Bible. The issue is, when I come to God, do I say, Lord, I must see you? I don't understand big, long, heavy words. I don't understand when people talk all this Bible theology, like they connect it to this and that, and they go to 15 different Bible passages. I don't understand all that. It's okay. Talk to the one who is, guess what? His name is teacher. How many of you try to teach people different things? We have a lot of teachers in this church, right? But guess what? If you have the teacher sitting next to you, the amount of skin I have in the game, he's got way more. He loves my kids way more than I do. When I think, I mean, how am I going to explain it to this kid? This kid doesn't seem to get it. And then God gives you another kid and you're like, this one is totally different. Like, just when you get it so, sort of figure, figured out. Right? And this is the amazing thing about being a parent who knows God. You have someone who is counselor to your children. Teach them when they are young to seek his face. They don't have to get a lot right. I screwed up spectacularly all through my teenage years. But guess what? I had a God who pursued me. And this is the part of the equation that you have no idea how amazing this is. A holy God who is so pure, who cannot have anything to do with sin, chases after the one who is called by his name, and he says, I will go after him. I will go after her. You are not trying to raise the next best Christian hero if you're a parent. Neither are you trying to present to God a good Christian hero in yourself. What you are saying is, Lord, you teach the simple your ways. That's, that's, those are the people he's looking for. His name is Yahweh Rohi, which is God is my shepherd. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Now we've all read Psalm 23. We know it. But do you know God is shepherd? Do you know him speak quiet to your soul? Do you see him feed you? When there is no food around, he leads you beside still waters. He fights off the wolves when they come to get you. 
These are things that you can only see when you meet Him. Not the Bible telling you it's so. Which is why whenever I hear that song, Jesus loves me, this I know. The Bible telling me so is irrelevant in one sense. Because if I've not met the Jesus of the Bible, the Bible telling me so is just something I believe because a belief system told me so. But when I meet Jesus, whom the Bible tells me about, which is absolutely important, but I'm just saying it just jumps one whole step. I'm telling you, the Bible telling me so becomes life to me. Because now, God, my Father, tells me so. And it's no longer something that I'm trying to like, do I feel like a child of God today? How many of you have had that feeling? I've had that feeling. I don't feel like a child of God on most days. And then He reminds me who I am. And then guess what? Slowly that accusation is moved out of the way where you don't, you're not holy enough. You don't look presentable enough. You don't have this figured out yet. All of those accusations drop in light of God is my Father. So when I'm telling you when I was 15 years old, to hear God tell me, I am your Father. It was a very hard season of life for me. I, I, didn't have a, I didn't have much figured out. But when God spoke to a kid who did not know how to fix his life, to know that I would never be let go of, that changes the trajectory of your life because you're no longer just a loser kid who just doesn't know how to make life work. You're not a kid who just doesn't understand how to be good. He says, I will counsel you. Come sit with me. I will teach you. From being a kid who literally almost flunked out of school, I thought, I mean, you know what? This is not for me. God picked me up and he says, I will set you on a rock. I will teach you how to understand things. Reading, I could not stand reading. I could not be, I mean, if there was a teacher, I was literally on their hit list. Because I was just that kid who never, I didn't get this whole school thing. To the point where now I can read for hours and I would not get tired. I would understand things. I would perceive things. And I was like, how do I know these things? He says, because if you will come to me, I will teach you. And that's just one revelation. Do you understand? And it changed my life. What I'm saying is, imagine what God can do when He shows you who, who, who He is. Not something that somebody taught you. Not something that someone said, let me explain this to you. But something God Himself showed you in the secret place. Nobody else gets that. My tears won't do that for you. It's something you have to encounter. 
He doesn't want you to know what somebody else knows. And that is the big thing in Christianity we don't get sometimes. We think, I need to know what that fellow knows, or that guy, that girl, that woman. Oh, man, she knows that. He's not looking for that with you. He's looking for your own journey. And he says, guess, guess what? We're going to have some exciting times together. Some of it's going to be downright crazy. And it's in the middle of those places of just despair. And he says, come, let's, this is who I am to you. So when God revealed Jesus, this is the amazing thing. He gave me the ability to know him. Imagine being stuck in the desire to want to know God, but you could never get close. And then he says, I will send you my son. He will reconcile you to myself. He will bring you back to a place where you can know me. You can ask as that kid who doesn't understand things, who doesn't know how to do it right. And he says, come, I will teach you. And he takes you with him and he says, let's go into my father's presence. You are not left on the outside trying. You're not trying to keep the law. You're not trying to be perfect. Jesus said in John 14 verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Which is why when we talk about why committing your life to Jesus is important, not because we need more Christians, the reason Jesus matters, the reason why submitting yourself to the work of Jesus is because you cannot get to God apart from Him. Without Jesus, you cannot know God. He took on who we were. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake, God made Him to be, Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. So that in him we might be called and become the righteousness of God. And guess what? He says, I will not leave you as orphans in John 14, 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all the things and bring, you, and bring to your remembrance all the things I've said to you. In John 16, he says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. And he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears the Father say, and what he hears Jesus say, he will speak. And he will declare it to you, the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and give it to you. So he's giving honor to God the Father even in that statement. He's saying, even though these are things that I'm free to give, he says, it's because my Father has given it to me. And I'm giving it to you. So guess what you have been brought into? You have been brought into what? The fullness of God. 1 Corinthians 2, 12 to 14. Now we have received the Spirit, not of this world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And you cannot get this with human wisdom. It is taught by the Spirit of God. 
You cannot perceive these things because where did we start? The first revelation of who God is, He is spirit. So the things that He works with are spirit things. They are not flesh things. Which is why the worshipers of God must worship in spirit and in truth. There is an understanding of these things. There is a perceiving of the things of God. But guess what? It's not to do with your intellect. And this, this does not mean we worship without our minds. But we, our mind is not our ceiling for revelation. What I can perceive with my intellect is not my ceiling. I use my mind. I apply myself to understanding. But guess what? He is the one who reveals. Now that revelation I had about who God is as my father, I cannot quantify it for you in good understandable words. But he can show you. Do you understand? You're understanding the base concept that God is your father. You're understanding the base concept that God heals. Why? Because his word tells us so. But then to take his word and say, Holy Spirit, show me this. Show me what you have done in me. That is different. So next week, when we get here, I'm going to break apart things that God has given us in our position to know him versus how we practice knowing him, which are two different things. So it's important that you know God has given you a position before him, but you also need to know how do I practice the things that God has called me to do? Amen?